been talking indeed about this theme, and it's not a theme that we've created. It's not Hallmark. This is God's Word, actually, we're going to look at uh, in some detail. You know, as I think about our lives uh, as followers of Christ, you've got, and I have, every single day, basically one or two choices. I can choose, you can choose, we can choose to live for what we want, or we can live for what God wants. And sometimes, I don't know if you've experienced this, sometimes what I want and what God wants can be two different things. Am I the only one that's ever experienced that? Come on, hello, are you there? No, and then I've got a choice to make. We have a choice to make, right? Because sometimes we're going to have our preferences in terms of how we want life to go, what we want to do, whatever it is. And then we see God's word and even God's prompting in our lives through his spirit of your follower of Christ. And he says, no, I don't want you to go that way. I want you to go this way. And so we have a choice, do we not, as the body of Christ to make. Am I going to live for what I want or am I going to live for what God wants? Now, how tragic is it to see a church? And unfortunately, we do have such churches that are just going through the motions of religion, of worship, of Bible study, of different things. Thank you. How often is it a tragic thing for us just to do our motions? Is that making sense? As opposed to actually being better together, as opposed to being the actual body of Christ that makes a real difference in the community and even around the world. There's plenty of churches going through the motions I don't want to be that church to you. I do not. I, I, there is, I've had this last year, both my older brother and my dad pass away, and it's just a reminder how important family is to me, how blessed I am and have been in my life, and I don't want to waste any last moment. I, do you? I don't care how old you are, whether you're sitting here at 18 or 80. I don't want to waste any time that God gives me on this side of eternity. So I want you and I to consider through God's word how it is we can be better together. And here's what we're going to look at over the next four weeks. First of all, we can be better together. We will be better together when we choose God's purpose, what God wants over what we want. I don't mean individually, but I mean together as the body of Christ. Secondly, we're going to look at what is our mission? Once you understand what God's purpose is, he's going to begin to reveal to us specifically what is our particular mission in this part of the world and what does he want to accomplish through this body. So are we willing to discover his purpose and then live out of his mission? And then number three, we'll look at his priorities. If you truly have a purpose and a mission then you're going to have to live, and I'm going to have to choose to live. We are going to have to live out of a set of priorities. What does God's Word say are those priorities? That's week three. And then finally, is there ever anything, come on, let's get real just for a second. Is there ever anything really worth living for that you don't have to make sacrifices for? Any parents in the room? Did you have to make sacrifices for your kids in order to be the kind of parent you want to be? Grandparents? whoever you are, friends, whoever it is, if, if it is truly worth living for, it will be only worth making sacrifices in order to do what God wants over what I want.
So I want you and I to start with the purpose today, this morning. Let's look at John chapter 20, just a few verses, a, a, a powerful scene. And I want you, to, you and I to discover, first of all, according to Jesus himself, I'm not making this stuff up, this is Jesus himself, he says, you are a sent people. Sent to do what? Stick with me, we'll get there. But first of all, you and I have got to recognize the fact that we are a sent people. And in this scene, Mary Magdalene had seen Jesus, the resurrected Christ, after he had died on the cross. And clearly, the disciples did not believe her when she told them, because why? They're in a locked room, afraid, after he had been crucified. They're thinking, we're next. They might have even been plotting, how do we get out of Jerusalem safely? So here we are, they're up there scared to death in the room. They know that, that he, it's been said that he, he's not dead, he's alive. Clearly it hadn't sunk in yet. And look at the scene, verse 19, chapter 20 of John. says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, at least they're doing fear together, I guess, they were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, those who had killed Jesus. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be, I'm not the only one who repeats himself, peace be with you. As the Father has what? Sent me, I am what? Sending you, followers of Christ, the disciples. Now, what I want you to notice first of all is that Jesus is offering peace on the two bookends of this little passage he begins with peace and he ends with peace. And he starts with peace in the midst of stressful circumstances. They are in a circumstance they do not have control of and it is scaring them to death. That, that word fear, you've heard me talk about this before in verse 19 when it says they were up behind locked doors and they were afraid. The word fear, for fear of the Jewish leaders, that word fear doesn't mean a little bit nervous. It means panic. It means that fear has taken control, thus the locked doors and inside and in isolating themselves in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their anxiety taking over. And that's what that word means. It's, it's, a, it's an anxiety attack that has completely taken over their lives in what they're going to do next. That's when, it, don't you love it? I do. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just kind of weird, but that's when Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in the middle of their mess. He shows up in the middle of their anxiety. When they're freaking out and panicking, that's when he, what? It says he stood among them. Jesus came, and Jesus, as you may well know, in his resurrected body had this ability just to show up and disappear at different times, be visible and then gone the next. Now, it doesn't say on their notice, he knocked on the door and they let him in. It said he just showed up. 
All of a sudden, he is there. He stood among them. And that phrase, he stood among them, by the way, is in the middle voice. You've heard me refer to this before as well. It means that Jesus took the initiative. Jesus did not listen. Jesus did not wait for them to find him. He came to them right at the perfect time when they're freaking out and they're letting fear take over. That's when, and that's what, listen, that's what Christ will do. He will show up in the middle of your messy life if you're willing to let him. He's going to show up. It's whether you see him or not. It's really what the, the moral of the story is. So it goes on to say that Jesus, verse 19, leading to 20, says, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said what? They're freaking out, and he says what? I love that too. What a sense of humor. Peace be with you. Now, that's the word shalom we've referred to. That's, that was a common greeting among the Hebrew people, shalom. But, but my friend, that means much more than howdy. That means much more, hey, high five. He's not showing up with that. He, he's showing up offering peace right in the middle of their fear. And, and that, that word peace, as it's used here in this part of the story, the, the, the word peace is referring to having this peace in Christ, in the presence of Christ. You see, Jesus had said, I'm not going to leave you behind. He said in John chapter 14, you'll see it on the screen. He said, I will not leave you as what? As orphans. I will come to you. Guess when he said that? Before he died on the cross. He said, I'm going to come to you. Now, he's talking not just about himself, but he's talking about God's spirit being there in his place in their life, each new day of their life. He says, I'm never going to leave you out there on your own to do what I'm calling you to do all on your own. I will be with you. And then he says, peace. And that word peace means peace in Christ. And it refers to a lack of havoc. Now, you can't control havoc around you, can you? Anybody got that figured out? I, I have not. But that's not what the word's talking about. It's talking about not being controlled by the havoc. Just because there is havoc around you doesn't mean you have to be a part of the havoc. And, and that's what Jesus is offering. He's saying peace. And, and in fact, the word peace, shalom, it refers, first of all, to having harmony with God having a genuine harmony with God, a united relationship with God that bleeds over into harmony with one another. Don't you love how that works? So if you want to have harmony, genuine harmony, I don't mean forced harmony. That's not harmony. That's not peace. Have peace with God, and then he will give you the foundation, the basis for harmony, genuine harmony, peace with one another. So when Jesus said, Jesus said, peace be with you, twice, not once, he is saying, uh, this is what I can do. I can cause you and I to be better together. Now, I want you to notice one other thing in verse 20. And, and notice when the disciples experienced not just the peace, but the joy that only Christ can bring. Did you see it? Look at verse 20. After he said this, Shalom, peace be with you. He showed them his hands and his side. Of course, that's, I did die. I've got the scars of the crucifixion. This is real. I've resurrected. 
And, and so he, he, after he showed them this, the disciples were overjoyed. When were they overjoyed? <laughs> when they saw the Lord. It's like they hadn't really seen him until this moment. Jesus kept working with them until they recognized that he was actually there right in the middle of their fear, in the middle of their anxiety. And that, that is the point at which they experience the joy. Ha, listen, come on. How many of us are missing out on the joy because we can't see Christ in the middle of our mess? Man, that's real quiet today. Is that a yes? You see, if all I'm seeing is my mess and not Jesus in my mess, I'm going to miss the joy. And that's what was happening in their lives. They had to see him before they could experience the joy in the middle of the mess. Because Jesus, listen, you know this, Jesus didn't come along and say, okay, the circumstances are going to go away. They're going to change. That's not what Jesus is offering. He's offering peace in the middle of their fear. He's offering peace in the middle of their challenges. He's not taking them out of their challenges. He's saying you're going to have joy and peace in the middle of it. I, I love this stuff. And it's only when they were willing to see that Christ did exactly what he said and promised he was going to do before he even died on the cross. And he says they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It finally clicked that, yes, he is who he says he is. Now, one final thing I want you to notice, verse 21, and I'll look at just a, a couple of applications here. Look at 21. It says, again, Jesus said, again, he repeats himself, and he says what? Shalom. You're not going to get shalom anywhere else. You're going to get it by seeing me in the midst of your life. That is havoc sometimes. That is challenging sometimes. Well, not sometimes, a lot of times. You're going to experience the peace in the midst of the havoc if you trust me, if you see me in the middle of it with you. So he says, peace, shalom with you. But then he says something that's, that's very important. He says, as the Father sent me, so I am what? Sending you, the body of Christ. Now notice a couple things there. First of all, the word sent or sending means to live on purpose. It means to live out of God's purpose. It means to wake up each new day with a purpose and not just taking up space and breathing, right? It is a purposeful way of life. It is choosing. And the second thing I want you to notice is that he didn't go to each individual disciple and say, I, Peter, I am sending you. John, I am sending you. Ryan, I am sending you. Peggy, I'm sending you. He didn't go around the room and, and say, I'm sending you. What did he say? I'm sending you. We are better together. We're not just better together, we're called together. And that's how Jesus did it. He didn't come to each individual and say, your journey with Christ is an individual journey. That's Western culture. He comes to us and says, your journey is us, not just you. It's, listen, that's a messy proposition. Y'all got, you get it, family's messy, right? Come on. This family can be messy, but that's how God says to do it. He says, we're better together. I'm calling you to be a sent people together. And, and so a couple of applications, just real briefly, and I'll wrap it up with another passage. Jesus says that we are better together when we 
allow Christ, first of all, to show up. Now, he'll show up as whether or not we're going to see him or not. And we're going to follow his lead or not. Whether we're going to choose what we want versus what God wants. So when he, and he will show up, are you going to see him? Are you looking for Christ to show up in your mess, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of life? Are we looking for Christ to show up? Are we actually looking for that? Are we just going through emotions? So when we are better together, that means that Christ, we are seeing him show up like he says he's going to. He, he says, I won't leave you as an orphan. Number two, when we do that, he's going to offer peace, even in the midst of the havoc. Isn't that, isn't that an awesome promise? Is, is it not? There's a lot of havoc around the world, right? Hello? Y'all wake up. It's cray-cray out there. It is not so. And we can have this amazing purpose and peace right in the midst of all that. That's what Christ can do. And so what it boils down to is, are we willing to respond to our sentness as the body of Christ? He's going to call us. Now, we'll get into that further in just a minute. Now, let's look at Matthew chapter 28. You've heard me go through these verses before, so I'll, I'll go quickly through them. Matthew 28, the resurrected Christ said, show up at this spot at this particular day, and the disciples actually did it. He said, I want you to meet me, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up. So they did. They waited on him, and he once again, he shows up in chapter 28 of Matthew. And this is before Christ has ascended back to heaven and before God's Spirit through Pentecost is, is coming into the lives of the believers as, as the Jesus for them every single day. Now look at verse 18. Jesus tells them, you are not only a sent people. He just said, I'm sending you. I'm, you're going to continue what I started here in this life. Now Jesus had an impact not just in Jerusalem, of course, not just in the Middle East, but what? What was Jesus' reach? All the way to Cedar Park, Texas, because we're sitting here right now, right? All around the world. And then he says to this, these, this group of, of lug-headed, thick-headed men, these original disciples, what does he say? Verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I've got the power. I'm about to let you have the power. I've got all the authority, all the power you need. Therefore, here's the application. What does he say? You know the words. We've looked at them. Go and do what? Make disciples. That's the main verb. He says, therefore, go and make disciples because I've given you everything you need to do this. It's not about you. It's about me and you. Therefore, go and make disciples of whom? Of all nations baptizing them, and these are the supporting actions of go and make disciples in this passage, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That means teach people to identify with Christ, to follow Christ, and show it through baptism. It's a sign that they, their life has been changed. And then what? Teaching them to what? Now listen, he didn't say teaching them to know. Did you see that? That's important. But teaching them to what? Teaching them to obey, respond to the truth. Don't just know the truth. Not what you know, it's what you do with what you know. And he says, 
teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, here's the promise, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So he lands where he started. Now, first of all, Jesus makes it real clear that, that there is a need for reliance on him. He didn't say to this group of men and the disciples, and by extension to you and I as followers of Christ, I want you to go into the whole world and make disciples good luck, right? He starts with how they're going to do it, the power they're going to have, the authority they're going to have. He says, all authority has been given to me both in, on earth and in heaven. There's nothing left out. You're going to have more than you ever need to do what I'm calling you to do. So we're a sent people and a, a disciple-making people, and he gives us the very authority and the power to do it because he knows we can't do this, right? Come on. God knows, Christ knows that we cannot do what he's asking us to do. So he's introducing the power to do what we can't do on our own. And then he says, go and make disciples. So here's how that breaks down, that passage it breaks down with a task. Go as you are going, as you are living, make disciples. That's the main, main thing. That is the main thing we're to do. Now, the word go, once again, is in the middle voice. What does that mean? That means, my friend, listen, you cannot be forced to go and make disciples. You've got to choose. Parents, you can't force your kids to live this way. They've got to only come around. It's their faith, and they're, they're going to follow Christ. They've got to make a choice at some point in their life. I'm going to live for what God wants and not what I want. I, I, as much as I love my kids, I can't force them to follow Christ. Can you? Some, some have tried. That's a whole other sermon. But it don't work. Partly because Jesus knew that wouldn't work because he wants you and every single one to choose. It's a middle voice. It's got to be a personal choice to follow him. It's a response to his calling on your life. And the scope is to all the nations, as you saw there in the passage. And the word nations, we've referred to this before, does not mean countries with boundaries. It's referring to, it's where we get the word English, the English word ethnic from. It's referring to people groups. How many people in the room today would say, I've got some people groups in my neighborhood? Am I alone? Are you all Caucasian in your neighborhood or whatever your ethnicity is? No. My, I, don't have to go, I don't have to go to Cuba and all kinds of places in order to be on the mission field. I just have to go to my house and look at my neighborhood. It is amazing how much the world from these different people groups have just arrived right on our back doorstep. You think maybe God has a reason you think maybe God has a plan and a purpose for us sitting in the middle of this melting pot with all these different people groups? I don't know. I think so. Because he said, go and make disciples. And that go may be across the country, across the world, or it may be right next door. But it's go. Are you and I, are we willing to go where God sends us? So the scope is around the world, but it may not be any further than your next door neighbor. And the word baptizing and teaching and obey are the supporting actions of make disciples. And finally, the assurance again is where he started. And surely I'm with you always. Now listen, Jesus once again did not come to each individual disciple and say, Ryan, go make disciples. Or Peggy, I'm picking on you guys. Anybody else on this side? He didn't point, you're afraid I'm going to call your name, so relax. 
He didn't come to each one of you and say, go make disciples. What did he say? Let's do this together. That's the implication, both times. He said, we're better together. Now, why is that? Let me illustrate this way, and I'll wrap it up this way. I got these little dowel rods. This is you. You've lost some weight. <laughs> and this is your life. And this is you and I trying to do this in our own power. And maybe even genuinely trying to follow Christ on our own. And we are isolating ourselves from the body of Christ. What happens? There's not much to that. You know, simple. You know, you know the, the logic, the rationale behind this. But when we're bound together by the purpose of Christ... I can try all day long. I cannot break this. And I'm, I'm legitimately, I'd like to show you I'm a he-man, but I can't. This is a lot stronger and better, how? Together. Than it ever will be alone. You see, that's why, this is all free here. That's one of my concerns about the pandemic and what it has done. To, and if you're online, I love you. We're glad you're here. Whichever camera is looking at me right now. Glad you're a part of this body through our stream, but that's not the body. That's a tool. I'm glad we got it. And I get the safety things for some, but I'm, I'm, this, is, this is on my heart. I think there's some believers that have developed some really bad habits through the last two years of getting in their pajamas and sitting on the couch and calling that the body of Christ, and it's not. It's a way to understand teaching. It's a way to be exposed to the truth, but it is not the body of Christ. The body of Christ happens real time with real people. It cannot happen over the, the, the airwaves. And I'm glad that we've got those tools, believe me, especially during the pandemic. I'm glad we have those. And I get the things we're dealing with, but you can't replace the body of Christ. We have to be in relation to one another and committed to God's purpose. Do I have to convince you that we're better together? I hope not. And better together, by the way, doesn't mean just showing up and go through the motions, like I said. Is when we come and we choose one day at a time together to be committed to what God wants versus what we want. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is at times challenging, at times encouraging, and at times of affirming. But it's nonetheless your word, and it's the truth. And so, Father, over these next several weeks, I just pray you'll plant seeds in my heart, in our hearts, and you'll show us what this looks like on a real-life level as the body of Christ, as we enter into this new year, this new journey with you, I, I pray, Father, you will, you'll just light the fire within us as you begin to reveal what it is you want us to accomplish in the name of Christ, that we're going to be willing to set aside possibly our preferences in order to trust you and to pursue you. I pray, Father, that you will ingrain with each of us and with us 
as the body of Christ, I will. I pray you will ingrain within us the fact that we are a sent people if we follow Christ, if we trust you. We are a sent people, and we are called to be a disciple-making people. That means we invest our lives and not just information. And so, Father, show us. Show us over the next several weeks and even on into this year what this means. Help us understand that indeed we are better together than we ever will be apart. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.